The following is a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Couture, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. Hey everybody, welcome to the winemakers. I'm John Myers, sitting here today with lots of good friends. Let's see, start off with Bart Hansen on my right. How you doing today, Bart? Hi, John. Good. You know, we're here celebrating Brian Casey's birthday. Oh, well, you, you got me on that one. So I, I was definitely going to announce that. So it is Brian Casey's birthday, all of 29, right? Uh, yeah, 29. You know what I'm getting for my birthday, though? What? I'm getting um, from Bart, I believe. He's going to um, bottle up some of that Chenin Blanc and uh, let me have a couple bottles. <laughs> you just will, will not let that go. Bart, you make Chenin I had hey. no idea. <laughs> you, really? Hey, Brian, you know what? Eric makes Chenin Blanc, too. <laughs> No way. <laughs> and then we have Eric Bradley. And Eric, you're from all over the place, but you're best known for Repris and Pangloss. And then winemaking for, well, um, how many people do you make wine for? It sounds like it's more than it is. So Sojourn is another one that's Love out there. Love Kirk Hasserow's wine. Yep. Yeah. And um, Texture, I guess, is the other big one. And 16600, I'd yes. like to share the stage with... Sammy and Jeff Baker and Phil, of course. And then we have Sa- Sam Katuri from Winery 16600 or 16 Boo, however you want to say it. Good morning. It happy happy birthday, Boo. Thank you. <laughs> Sam, I had to tell you. So the other night, I'm opening up a bottle of the 16600 Serrata table, and the woman says to me, how do you say that? And I said, it's 16600. It's the address. And she said, oh, I thought it was 16 Boo. <laughs> Somebody said, actually fell for You know that? how happy you were going to make Sam wait till I tell him that. She said, yeah, because it has the, like, the little eyes in it. Yes, uh, right. So I thought you'd like that. Now, um, <laughs> your label is well known because of uh, Stanley Mouse did it. Yeah. The, well, or the very good wines that are in it. Yes. But I mean, the label itself is attractive because Th- thanks, it's buddy. got a, a painting that Stanley Mouse did. And yeah. Stanley Mouse being the guy who's done most of the Grateful Dead work. And a lot of album covers. Journey, great, great artist band, from San Francisco. You know, the, he's all over the Young Museum right now. Did uh, he do the logo or the logo type also? The, oh yeah, the, the font is the, the font is, is uh, he. So the the painting hanging in the tasting room, five eight nine First Street West, uh, is called Left Bank. Uh, so very French inspired, and then the font he actually calls French hardware. And it's a font that <laughs> like he developed, it, yeah. and you know he drew all the letters, and I have it on on my computer, so I could write you a letter that all you may or font. may not be able to read uh, <laughs> in in French hardware. Sam yeah. says, "Hello, boo." That's <laughs> <laughs> a boo and boo. <laughs> well, hey guys, uh, thanks, and everybody, thanks for listening. Cut. We're good. seventeen episodes. This is great uh, growing. I want to thank everybody for listening and responding on our Twitter feed and uh what else we got out there the instagram and and uh, just our our comments and people coming in and buying wine from sam that's it another good so another some, email last week somebody said I, I listened to the podcast i haven't been to your tasting room i gotta come in now so uh i mean that's not the only reason that we're doing this no, but it's certainly not. our reason that we're doing but this. you know you you did uh, being 
today is uh, sort of in the after, aftermath. Well, yes, we do have Brian's birthday. And I hate to, I hate to mix the two, but you did want to make a, a comment about some yeah, of the you know, things going on in this world that we live on, this ball. Uh, I, I guess 17 episodes in, whether we like it or not, we're part of the wine media now. And um, I, I think it, anyone in with a voice uh, needs to say that... Um, you know, what happened in Charlottesville and this crazy ethno-nationalism, racism doesn't stand in the wine business, uh, the wine country. In general, the wine business is um, necessarily, by definition, multicultural, multiracial. Yeah, uh, we in, didn't start it. In, in, <laughs> in Sonoma, in California, it's, it was started by immigrants. It's run by, dependent on immigrant labor now. Immigrants uh, make the wine business work across the globe and um you know if, if you don't know that and you don't see that and don't support that then you know you can drink something else amen <laughs> there you go there well go. i well I, I appreciate the the comments so and not not to screw up your 29th birthday but a big happy birthday man i seriously no, seriously gotta say that it's been a pleasure to to uh uh, lift many a glass with you and you've turned me out of some great stuff and it's funny because i remember having eric on on the radio i don't know a couple of years his, ago now it was his 29th birthday was, too and um <laughs> but saying wait a minute you you make this for him and you make this for him and you make eric you make like five of my favorite wines so i i kind of like that actually i really do well, I kind of like you, John. <laughs> well, I'm supposed to be the consumer in this whole thing. Oh, there we go. Our obligatory pour number one. We've gotten way too. Way oh, too by the way, did you did you notice the wine colored uh, mic? Uh, uh, I like that. The, the purple the microphone covers so that we don't yes. stain them anymore, right? <laughs> it's a, now, and and well, our our tablecloth is on order, so uh, because we're going to be broadcasting from. Uh, the Sweet D uh, event for Grenache Day. Grenache I Day. Think that September fifteenth. Hopefully, this episode will be out. September fifteenth oh, at, at yeah. Sweet D. Um, all the details are are getting worked out, but um, it's going to be a, a bunch of producers of Grenache from you know all over the state. Uh, the fig rig will roll. Um and <laughs> food, music. I, I There'll think. be more rolling. No, no music this year. No we music. Are, this we, year. Are the, we are the. We are the. We're the entertainment. entertainment. Hell yeah! Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we ought to do I an awful sing. lot I, of interviews. Yeah, but you know, you could tell some jokes. Saying we got to bring the wheels of steel. You and we'll be uh, DJing maybe in between uh, shows. We, we can should, uh, throw down. We should def definitely. Right. Uh, we'll, Bring a stack of vinyl out there. Yeah, yeah. that's a great idea. I got no problem with that. So, all right. Hey, let's talk about what the hell is going on in the field because the weather has been so crazy over the last month. Today, it's actually cold. I mean, I, th I think when I went out this morning, it was 60 degrees. And, and then two weeks ago, we were 106. Well, I think What's it's it going to warm up again at the end of this week again, right? Yeah, hopefully not quite as hot as... Right what we've been used to this summer right this is the hottest summer i can remember in 20 years yeah me doing too this up here yeah it seems awful i mean it, it's it's that we've had the we've had those over 100 degree days and we've also they've sustained more than just one or two days yeah the overnight temps have been amazingly high up in the hills yeah i think we went 
several days a couple weeks ago without getting below 85 degrees at the top of Moon Mountain. Isn't that amazing? You can go that long. In a, it has a real it, effect on the wines. <clears throat> you know, tannin so? management is affected. Certainly you get a polymerization of tannin that helps make the wines a little more approachable. Um, when it's when it's that warm at night, yeah. Things. Do you somehow chart all this so that you know how to treat something one way or another? That this particular lot. We is... have weather stations certainly that keep track of it all. I, I pay attention just enough to be dangerous. Um, <laughs> I don't want to know it inside out because I think you don't it want actually announce it on me. on KRON. <laughs> it's you know it can be an impediment I think to creativity if. If you project too much of that onto the wine and the vintage, um, I mean, I it's, it's it's nice to know where you're starting from in you know compared to other years, right? You like to see what yeah. the, what's been the average four years and where are you to that. But but you're right; you have to kind of live with what's going on that year. Yeah, it's just a guide. Yeah, that's all it is. I think the interesting part is with as wet as things were over the winter around here. It's actually been a nice combination yeah. to have all this heat to help kind of moderate this yeah, a little well, bit. Except I, I, our wettest. I, I, I mean, you would long? probably know because of sojourn. I, I understand in down in the valley, Carneros and whatnot. There's a lot more of a uh, of an issue with mold. I mean, with mildew, right? Yeah, I haven't seen it in my stuff. Um, I right. know it's out there. Right. And up in the hills, we're affected as well. Yeah, I've been hearing a lot about it. Okay. You know, people um, turning on the fans, and but we've had some wind, uh, a few windy days right after those, uh, the last rains we had. You know, so at least we're getting something going through there. You can't cut back the canopy enough to dry it up because then you're going to end well, up with raisins and, and once it thing, gets hot. Um, you know, for as, as wet as it was in the spring and for as hot as it's been in the summer, there's two things that that aren't happening necessarily the way you'd expect them in the vineyard. And Eric probably agree with me on this is a, um, when it's a, such a wet spring, you expect huge canopies and huge growth in the vineyards. And, and because of the heat, uh, I, I think, um, some of those, gro those big growth spurts didn't happen, uh, like through June, it was just a little too hot. So we're not dealing with giant canopies out there. Uh, and the other one is when it's, so warm for so long, you'd expect things to move really fast uh, in, you know, variation in the ripening curve. And that's not happening either uh, for two reasons. One, probably because it was so sort of slow and cold and wet out, out the gate. And again, because of that heat, um, it slowed things down. When you get up to too hot, the grapes, the vines stop working. They yeah, stop doing spent an awful lot of hours above 95 degrees this right. summer and, and the vines don't produce carbohydrates when they're up there so it really they're just sitting yeah well you know um i've heard an awful lot about veraison this year and and not to dumb the show down but a lot of people don't know exactly what that is and it's really the uniform turning in color uh, from green um fruit to fully ripened uh purple grape Right. And, um, and the accumulation of sugar. Okay. And that's part of it. So it's just not the color. Right. Okay. And the color's an indicator. That's um, it. And it's something to watch. But sometimes you're going to verate at 14 bricks. Sometimes it'll be sweeter. Right. And everything in between. This year, I don't know what you're seeing, Bart. I'm seeing stuff, you know, around 14, 15. Yeah, I think we're just, they're just starting to look at it. And, and Lauren was at the winery today, and Julia was asking her to send those 
send those numbers over. So I don't think we're even quite there yet. But yeah, so it's it's low. We had a few. I mean, years. when I go, I'm going out and tasting, there's definitely stuff that I t- thought would be uh, sweeter than what it is. You know, I mean, I remember 13 going, okay, verasion's happening at the right time, and then all of a sudden we got blindsided because it verated at like 17, 18 bricks right. up on the hill. So it was like, okay, it's go time. You might not get your 45 to 60 days right. between veration and harvest yeah. um, that we're used to. Right. So every year's a little different. Just, well, uh, just a puzzle. Yeah, I know. You know, everybody says, oh, we're so early, so late, uh, you know, year to year. How are we running? Is Are we a normal gear yet it feels whatever normal is it it feels pretty (laughs) close to that a setting on your dryer that's what normal it's been an abnormal uh path to normality (laughs) (laughs) that is very very that's it we gotta could be a tagline for your show abnormal path to normality Uh, i mean truth be told the way you get to averages is extremes right so you need to have to bell curve. And, and every year it's all over the map in every direction and and then through those numbers you go oh yeah here's average and then you're like well nothing's average this year well, it's it never actually is or rarely actually hits the average whatever that is usually it's everything's on one side or the other uh, and you know well, I this would, year isn't I would on imagine that, on that abnormal path to normality <laughs> I would imagine on that path to abnormality and normality, uh, as as we as we hang uh, dappled in sunlight um, with integrity. Also, with integrity. integrity. Yes, absolutely. Um, I would think that every year would present some really cool challenges to you. Um, everything, everything is different. That's one way to look at it. Well, pretty yeah, cool I mean, challenges. Well, <laughs> or hot ones this year. Yeah, I guess. Um, well, you got to keep with it. It's not. It, we're not selling Ravenswood seven ninety nine that has to taste the same every year, no. or the or the grocery salt shelf Kenwood that I grew up drinking along with the Ravenswood. It's just not that. No, I, I, they're puzzles to me, and I think. You know, when I do my job well, you can taste the vintage variation and you can taste whatever site the grapes came from um, and hopefully the varietal. Isn't that amazing that you can taste a lot? You can taste where it came from? Uh, that's my job as far as I see it. <laughs> Could, and hopefully it tastes good, but on some you, level it's got to be true to where it came from. Break down, and, and I guess this is for both of the winemakers, break down... Um, the puzzle pieces as you see them and, and which ones are sort of in your control and, and which ones are part of the puzzle that everybody gets dealt and you have to deal with it no matter what. Uh, well, I don't know how much you want to zoom out, but I mean, picking sites that let's, are interesting. Let's, yeah, let's start, start with your planning process when you say, all right, this year we're going to make X wine and you know, what are the pieces that go into that sort of on a macro level, not obviously on... I think, you know, projects can be different. So with Repri, I think that's one that's pretty easy to understand because it's about one place, and it's a a diverse place, Um, 75 acres planted, close to a 1,000 feet in difference from the top of the vineyard to the bottom. Oh, God, that must provide some entertainment for you right there. Yeah, 14 different varietals. Um, so it, it is a, a very dynamic puzzle. Um, the biggest thing for me is just to watch and observe and try and figure out what's in front of me. Some years you got to be aggressive about 
managing canopy and crop. Some years you don't touch anything. Like 15, we didn't drop a cluster, as you know. Um, there usually weren't any to drop. Right. <laughs> you know, it was an unusually light year. Other years, you got to be aggressive. Otherwise, you won't get it ripe or you won't be able to make wines that have intensity and concentration that we want. I hear the berries are small this year, but very flavorful, very intense. Oh. I, time will tell. I think, you know, the way I look at this stuff, Things can go very wrong or very right up until Verasion, but whether the wine's going to be great or not is determined from here to the finish line. Um, you can have a, a horrible spring, a horrible summer, but if your fall is great, you can recover from it. Um, and the inverse can be true as well. You can have a perfect spring and summer, and if the fall gets wet, um, there's not much you can do about it. And, well, you know, John, just uh, to comment on, you know, w when people say, oh, grapes are very small this year, you know, it's so early in that process. Um, we don't know how, you know, small they are. I mean, w w the person I work with made a comment that um, a vineyard was the grapes were very small and there wasn't any crop out there. And we gave it two weeks and we came back and looked at it and all of a sudden the grapes are starting to size up. And so all of a sudden it's looking more normal. Um, so it's about, as Eric said, sitting in front of you and watching it and observing it and making no decisions until you make the decision to pick, ultimately. And, and not, I don't mean decisions, assumptions. Assumptions. Uh, and that's the, it, it happens so fast out there, too. Things can change in a matter of, of days or, or weeks. Um, hours. One, you know, hours. Yeah. Look at uh, Burgundy and Champagne. A couple days, hailstorms, gone. 20 minutes. Yeah, it's just, I mean, uh, I can't, I just don't know what would happen to the uh, grape economy here if it were wiped out like that. You know, all of a sudden you had, you know, 30% of your crop to work with. Well, that was 2015. Yeah. yeah. I said, hey, well, you're right. Yeah, I mean, that's the way it worked out. I, I, had a, I had a barrel salesman call me and said, you know, it's surprising. There's a lot more French oak available now uh, <laughs> since Cognac and uh, Burgundy had their wow. problem. Uh, so that's how, that's how it changes uh, the economy. A, is they're trying a global to, industry. Remember yeah. that. I mean, it's stick going down in France that changes our barrel prices. Right. You know? and, and it's it's so it's also so it's such a tight-knit uh, industry that, you know, those types of ripple effects um, happen quickly. We feel things that are happening in France, you know, Burgundy within a matter of weeks here. Well, I think even hemispheres can affect each other. Right. You know, if Australia and South America and South Africa have a tough vintage, yeah. we end up with more oak. Right, um, <laughs> right. Yeah, there's better opportunities at better pricing. The butterfly hopefully. effect, right. You yeah. see the butterfly effect yeah. from that. Eric, I'm interested in, you know, I've been drinking your wine for a long time, and I'm curious, because you're making wine for uh, Sojourn, Repri, Texture, and Pangloss, are you actually, are you considered a consulting winemaker? Are you considered the winemaker for all four of those wines? I'm the winemaker for all four. Right. I have a lot of help. So. But, but they're all different owners of these? Um, yeah, well, not all different owners. So Repri, Texture, Pangloss has the same ownership. Okay. Jim Mumtazi really owns it. Um, I make wine for all three, but I've got a great team that helps me. Right. Jules Jansen, 
Uh, and Ryan a Jewel. beautiful tasting room, tasting lounge. Yeah, I can't take any credit for any of that, but I, I have a lot of support in general. Right. And then with Sojourn, I've got different ownership. Craig and I started that together. We own it together and have for a long time. We started it in 2001. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've got Randy Bennett, who's been my assistant winemaker, associate winemaker right. since 2008. So, right. you know, we can kind of do this without having to talk much. And you approach all projects with the same sort of uh, stylistically. You're looking to make a certain type of wine for for one place and a certain type of wine for another place. I know texture. I think just because of the name, I think has a maybe slightly different approach. Everyone's a little bit different. You know, Repri again is about a place, right? And it's about expressing one very specific, very complicated spot um, that's historic um, and yeah. special. Pangloss is mostly purchased fruit, and we're expressing, you know, Mendocino and Sonoma in different sites within it, some Appalachian blends, some varietal blends. The, uh, the texture program, it's really, it's part masturbation, truthfully, right. and I, I mean that in the best possible sense. I'm pro-masturbation. Is there another way? <laughs> what's the... What's the- I'm sure if let's hope Leslie doesn't hear this, she's going to kill me. But um, this is a way for me to have fun. I'm making Chardonnay in a style that you can't scale. I'm trying to make California Chablis, um, which is what I like to drink, essentially. It's acid driven. It's about tension. It's not about a lot of oak and oily ripeness. And I understand and respect that that's a nice business for other people and and I've sold plenty of wine like that over the years, but this is for people who want something a little more cerebral. Right. Um, on the Pinot side, it's Anderson Valley, and it's site-specific, so they're all single vineyard bottlings at this point. And some of them are really fun and cool and on the edge, like Wendling. That's uh, Paul Ardruni's place way out. It's the furthest northwest vineyard in all of Anderson Valley. Um, there's, you can't take it for granted. But you have a lot of toys to play with, don't you? I do. Yeah. I mean, speaking it of sounds, masturbation, sounds yeah. like a lot of <laughs> just a lot of fun out there. You Way know, to tie it back together, well, Jerry. Um, and and quite frankly, you know, when I go over to to Craig's, it's always the Waller that I go for. It just it's my palate. So, and Sojourn's a very site specific project too. Whether it's cabs, pinots, or shards, that's finding a spot. San Giacomo, for example, or Gap's Crown, or Waller. And yeah. just trying to do something true to that. And well, you do, and it works there specifically because I I go there, and he's you know there's a big lineup, and I, it's mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to make a decision, but so I just go with the Waller. Uh, just I'm, take one of each, John. There you go. <laughs> one, one case of each. I I just I, John John <laughs> buys join the club cases. and get everything. I just wrote out a list of what I need to you know I was gonna uh, I need two of the. Uh, the um, three sticks. I need two of the Waller Vineyard. I need two. Of the, uh, so I just wrote out a list of stuff that I need to to go buy this again. Week. Case cases. C- cases? Two, I think cases. cases. Right? All right. Well, as long as they take uh, credit cards, I'm I'm okay with that. So <laughs> I'm pretty sure we do. Uh, yes. <laughs> Sam, how about this 2016 Viognier? Uh, so this was uh, just this bottled. Is just bottled. This was like. I think we bottled it two weeks ago, labeled it last week. Um, 
Technically, I, I won't release this uh, in the tasting house uh, till September at the earliest. I, I'm thinking about I'm doing a vinyl Sunday Grenache Day weekend. I think it'll that'll be the rollout. Uh, Steel Plow Vineyard. Uh, this is Jeff Baker made. Um, saw a little bit of neutral oak. Um, pretty ripe, pretty acid driven. Um, just a, a great spot. Some Eric's made this wine for us also in the past, and, and what you get from Steel Plow Vignes is just like this amazing, um, you know, ripe stone fruit, uh, a ton of just a ton of acidity. Uh, minerality, which is unusual for it's, Viognier from it's, California. Everybody who comes into the tasting room, uh, who tries the, the tasting house, why am I doing that? Uh, who tries the Viognier um, says, "Oh my God, I've never had California Viognier that tasted like this." And it's the site, it's the farming, it's the winemakers. Yeah. Um, but what, what I see it happening from two different winemakers, wow. you know, similar but styles but you know sort of different approaches uh then you know it starts to be obvious that it's the site and for 16600 that's what our discussion is about is you know site so actually coming um 20 when i release the 2015 reds i'll have grenache from steel plow that eric made and i'll have grenache from steel plow that jeff baker made and pour them side by side in the tasting room and you go all right so then what do you find out? What do, what do you find out? What, what do you see? You see, okay, so here are the differences. So that's style. And here are the similarities. That's sight. Uh, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to being able to have that conversation in what should be a, a very approachable way to people who are you know, new to wine, novices, and, yeah. and experts alike. I think I'm, I'm, it's going to yeah, be fun. That'll be fun. Now, we know how to get in touch with 16600, Winery 16600, 16600. the Tasting House in in Sonoma. And, of course, we know Dane Sellers, which is all over the Internet. How do people find, well, if they're not in Sonoma and they can't go over to Pangloss and get a tenacity, uh, if they can't... uh, Steel plow, steel plow grenache. There you go. (laughs) You know, uh, (laughs) where do they get in touch with your wines? Small world we are in. It's it's all over, right? Well, Sojourn's fairly easy to find, I think, uh, because it's distributed nationally. Um, so you don't have to be in Sonoma to get it. These other brands, you have to be here. Um, they're all direct to consumer. We don't distribute. Um, they each have their own website that are, I think, fairly easy to find if you're out there and fluent Although, I don't in Google. Know if you can, I know. Can you buy wine on the Repri website? You, you have to be a member. Mem- okay. So you can R E P R I S. Correct. Uh, Repri wines. Dot com and you can check it out, make an appointment if you're in Sonoma to come see us. And then, where'd that name come from? Um, What's the history on that? You know, we really were trying to come up with a name that paid homage to the history of Moon Mountain Vineyard in that site. And Carmenet, um, and then Diageo after Carmenet, you know, they did very interesting, uh, memorable things with that property. Carmenet, that's a long time ago, though. Yeah, early 80s, and yeah. then it was Glen Ellen Vineyard before that in the 70s, and I'm not even sure what they called it in the 60s when it was the commune. It was the, the, commune. Fourth, it was <laughs> the fourth way was the name of the commune, but I don't know what they called the vineyard. I, I, I think that's when Glen Ellen Vineyards. I think it was Glen Ellen Vineyard. Is that, be, is that yeah. what Benziger became? No, no. no oh, this okay. was no, no connection pre-Benziger, no connection. This was... Okay. 
the the vineyard that is you know where Repri is now up on the hill that was uh, started planted by uh, a commune in the sixties on huh. on the mountain you know when it was only crazy people and hippies who lived up on the hill before it was not you be- huh no my parents too my parents that was that was shortly thereafter uh, so you know until now now it's millionaires and billionaires. Uh, but in the old days, it was yeah, mostly billionaires. Mostly yeah. billionaires. Well, uh, hey, you're, and your your buddy from Metallica certainly rocked uh, outside lands uh, yesterday or the day before. I have had the opportunity to, to see Metallica at Outside Lands about five years ago, and um, whether you like Metallica music or not, seeing them in that venue, uh, you know, in Golden Gate Park doing their thing, they are absolutely the best. At what they do, and watching that happen is amazing. So, yeah, Metallica. I'll I'll, I'll prep Metallica. Well, that's okay. I just know that he lives one or two houses beyond, so somewhere up beyond. So, Sorry. millionaires, but, billionaires, and rock stars. Yeah. Well, hey, that's how you. That's how you do it. So, but back uh, in the seventies, when that property was Glen Ellen Vineyard, you had Steve Kistler, Dick Arrowwood. Oh, and dude. Paul Draper, God, all that buying all long. that grape or all that fruit and putting it into single vineyard bottlings. Zen and that's and man, Arrowwood was awesome back then. Yeah, and that was for St. Jean when he was there. But we just tasted through all that stuff for Richard's fiftieth uh, vintage kind of retrospective tasting that you know Phil and I participated in. Oh, you guys pulled some of the library wines from. Yeah, he got together. And uh, Margot pulled a bunch of stuff out of St. Jean's Library, and then Richard pulled stuff out of Arrowwoods. And oh, wow. It was, it was pretty impressive. We did three of these in a short period of time for the Wine Advocate and, and Wine Spectator and then some other folks. And um, it was impressive how those wines held up. So yeah. you, you were doing articles? For, uh, these ended up being written articles or what? Uh, yeah, they did tastings that translated to articles. Okay. Um, you know, I think it was a good, it's a very historic thing. I mean, Richard is an icon. Yeah. 50 vintages is a real deal. Yeah. And My God, yeah. what that tasting, especially the, you know, showed was really a, a pioneer of Sonoma single vineyard wines. Before Richard was doing that, before, you know, Richard Arrowwood, at, I mean, you know, Monterosa, maybe the, some of those martini wines would have been single vineyard. But they but, weren't called out. But they weren't called out. Robert, Not, Young, nobody, nope. Robert Young Chardonnay, okay. I think in 73 for St. Jean, is considered to be the first single vineyard bottling in California. Wow. That was labeled really? as such. And that's, and that's that Richard wasn't in a state project that was purchased for it. Right. Yeah, and that was Richard. Huh. Well, um, that was one of the places that we certainly went as tourists when we were out here, staying at. Sonoma Mission Inn, you know, head out 12, and you'd, you know, you'd find these places. Um, when we were there, when we were going there as tourists, um, I don't even think imagery existed because we'd stand on the porch out front. And no, no, that was look across. That was even before it was, a, it was a actually brewery. built as a brewery. Right. 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 Yeah. Sonoma Mountain Brewery. But it was the Benzigers doing the brewery, right? Yeah, yeah. It was. Yeah. I think they, they did it. And I think if they wouldn't have shut down, it would probably still be a brewery. If they would have maybe lasted one now. more year. Hot. They were ahead of their time. They, yeah. they were too far ahead of their time. Yeah. You don't, want, you don't want to be the first guy over the hill in a battle. You want to be the second guy. And they were, the fir- <laughs> they were, they were too early in that way. Well, you know, they, they worked it out. Um, they've been very successful at what they've done at imagery. Yeah. I mean, the Benzigers have 
are one of those uh, you know amazing stories in the wine business where you get to build a brand and then sell it for a lot of money and then build a brand again and sell it for a lot of money and then continue building things. Um, you know, you usually don't get three cracks at that. Uh, no. Around, you know, you build something and you're, and you're done. I mean, Richard Arrowood is another example of somebody who's been able to do that. Um, you know, but it, it's, it's, it's pretty rare. Stuff. Yeah. I know I certainly like the view. You know, you stand in their yard and you look over at Monterosa. It's oh, spectacular from, yeah. from Amapola Creek. Yep. That's just, a, these are, these are spots around here that are accessible, you know, by appointment or, you know, with somebody, but it's, it's beyond beautiful the way they are tucked in. I go back to the shot that you put on Instagram with the poppies down here and the big mm. fields up here and a little Grenache over here. It's, that was one of the most beautiful photographs I've seen. And being a photographer, I mean, I, I love that kind of stuff, Sam. So, Well, th- I actually didn't take that picture. One of uh, Ben take, who... Take the accolades. No, no, no. I'll no. give it to I'll Ben go, then. I'll give Ben who works in... There you go. The guy who works in my tasting room. Uh, tasting house. Tasting house. <laughs> wow. Uh, You're better at it than he is. He works in the tasting house. <laughs> he works in the winery and he, and he works in the vineyards for us. So usually he's, he's in the tasting house uh on the weekends and during the week he's either in the vineyard or in the winery and and for what we're talking about at uh, at 16600 having that uh you know the ability to draw on the experience of working in the winery working in the vineyard and knowing what's going on in both places uh i think is is um totally crucial to selling our wine um well it's such a personal project right i mean it's about it's the, it's the Phil Coturi story uh, in wine. Um, you know, it's it, what I say all the time when people come in is, is um, what 16600 offers us is a way to tell this story. You know, the first organic farmer, the first guy to take organic grapes and put it into great wine in, in Sonoma. Um, a way to tell that story, you know, that is not just inside baseball. So it's not just winemakers and, and growers and, you know, people who know... But, you know, you can hear it and you can taste it uh, just being a member of the general public. And there's a communal aspect, I think, to this project. Yeah. That's no, attractive absolutely. to yeah. me. That's, you know, one of the reasons that I like to, to be involved in it. And I know Jeff feels the same way, that it's a great way to give back to, to you and yeah. Phil for all the opportunities and support we've gotten from you. Well, I, I, I appreciate that. I haven't... I probably don't think about that side of it enough. It makes me blush. Um, you know, <laughs> to be honest. No, I mean, uh, I, I probably, and I know I do this all the time, when I talk about um, Phil, my dad, in the tasting room setting, I completely undersell um, his farming prowess and, and contributions to the wine business. Because, you know, I mean, it is, it's, it's um, you know, I, try and be a little humble about where I was able to come from with it. But when people, when other people talk about the wines that Phil has grown, um, you know, it, uh, it is pretty amazing. Go back to Brian Casey, who has a story for every wine. You know, yeah, I mean, you, this is it, true. It is. You, you have, you have something I, to talk my about. My stories go back uh, years and years when, when I used to, I used to sell Couturier wines. I was 16 at the time working in Petaluma at a little restaurant called Petrucci's, and we used to buy the Couturier wines. And 
This is when I think Phil and Tony were making wines together still, probably. Yeah, it's 1986. Well, this, this, was the, the, this was the beginning of it. Not, yeah, not, yeah. not yeah. just uh, Katori. I mean, you have a, a great story for every wine that you bring out. I do. Oh, what are you leading me into? It seems like you're leading me into something. I, I'm involving you in the conversation. I was, I was gonna, well, and I was going to say, you know, when we we're talking about places to get um, Eric's wine, we happen to be one of the only restaurants, and I don't know if this is if if this is legal or if we're even supposed to, but we actually do have some repre wine at the restaurant. Okay. And you're not supposed to say that. Right? Okay, then we don't. <laughs> Maybe it was a texture. I think we might have Definitely a couple bottles of a texture. Mistake. I'm not sure you're supposed to say that either. It was and a mistake. You guys, get, you guys get these wines that don't go out to anyone else we, because of the And we the definitely pour the Sojourn. For you. And we definitely pour the Sojourn by the glass. But we're, we're huge fans, and that's what it is. We're fans of Eric's, and so we, we, we're happy to get those wines. Um, and, and either drink them ourselves or share them with, uh, with other people. But you get them directly from us. Correct. Right. So there's no middleman. No, 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 no. It's nothing is, like that. And it's, again, and it's, it's, all, it's a bottle or two. It's, it's one of those things for yeah. it's, and, and it actually, you know, people come in and, and see them on the wall and make comments about them. So it's one of those things that, you know, it's, a uh, people recognize the, and especially the texture, uh, labels. I don't know who decided on the design of the uh, texture labels, but we or, actually had... Or the, or the lack of design. The lack of... We had a woman come in. I was doing <laughs> hey, a tasting one day. It's got a Beatles thing going for it. Yeah, I was just... I was sitting down doing a tasting and someone hey, came over and birthday. said, uh, um, you know, this woman is in the bar and she's asking if we have any wine. The label is just white. And... Immediately, we knew exactly what it was. We said, oh, that, that sounds like uh, so texture. So it wasn't Baroche Pure? <laughs> I don't remember those words being spoken. No. Um, and, and we showed her the, the bottle, and she's that's it, that's it. And I think it was that she just wasn't able to get it. The thing that um, I like about it, you know, we were talking earlier about just how small and almost non-commercial the project is, right. and, and we wanted it to feel that way. So this was not supposed to be a wine that would translate to a supermarket shelf. Right. This is something that either needed to be hand-sold, you know, by you guys or by us or someone like-minded. Right. So, and that's what's happening. That's the way it is moving everybody I talk to. I mean, as fast as they can. They're moving away from distribution into, you know, we, you know, people want it. it obviously, you'd love it if it were 100%, you know, and then you don't have to give anything away. I think but, it's both, though. Truthfully, you know, we're privileged to be able to do something like this and have it pencil out. Not everyone else can do it. You know, it, texture does not pay the bills. Right. Uh, Repri does the heavy lifting. Pangloss does some heavy lifting as well. Yep. And distribution, it can be important for getting it out and building the brand. And, you know, Sam, you're doing yeah. that with 16600 very effectively. I, I do uh, a small amount. You know, I have one distributor. Um, it's in, in New York. In fact, they just added uh, a little bit into New Jersey and... Uh, a hot restaurant in Philadelphia, so, and but that's what it is. It's um, it's it's brand recognition. You know, it, you know certainly there's the economic side of it where it's cash flow and every young winery needs it. Um, but when you take a, a smart approach to having your wine in the right places, and, and Sante is a great example of that. Um, it's it's not just about selling bottles. It's about um, being part of the conversation of 
of great wine and great food. And um, it's strategic. It's, it's strategic. Yeah. yeah, I think that's the big difference. I, and I've been on the wrong side of that. And most of us have. Push where, where you have to move volume through through distribution just to pay the bills. That was the old Adelsa days. Right. Um, and that was. That was rough sometimes. Yeah. Well, well that you were talking about doesn't exist anymore anyway, uh, or it's dying because because of the consolidation in the distribution world. Um, you know, t- fifteen years ago, you could find a distributor in many states uh, for a medium sized brand, and and now. Um, if you don't have huge you numbers, you wouldn't get paid most. Of the right, time. you wouldn't get paid, but at least the wine would be out there. Uh, and now there just isn't that opportunity. So if you can't cut it, cut it in a direct to consumer kind of market, then it's really tough to cut it in general. For Repri, it makes perfect sense for us to stay DTC. Uh, you know, with a few cases here and there that are very strategically placed, um, because we can be custodians we control the brand yeah. um, as soon as you see it on the internet that's it's interesting out, it's, it's painful right yeah um, and it it's disruptive to the relationship that you have with your your best customers who want it to come from you um, sojourns you know craig's been great at going out there and identifying which wines to put out there and how much to put out in distribution to build the other parts of our well, business. A strategic, uh, I would hate to praise him too much because he might listen to this, but Craig is a, <laughs> a strategic mastermind. Obsessively I mean, strategic. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's his, his uh, you know, that's his approach to everything. You can yeah. see it happening right. when you're talking to him. Always listening and never listening at the same <laughs> at the time. Same time. <laughs> that is a great okay, description. <laughs> We balanced any praise effectively on that one. You got to keep it balanced with with, with, with affection. <laughs> but we have wines like that on the on the list where you know a couple of the uh, you know Brandon and I, who are assistant psalms, will um, scratch our heads sometimes sometimes and say, "Wow, man, look at the price we're charging for that wine." But we were at Costco last week, and um, we know that we're able to pick it up for for this price. I wonder if anyone's gonna you know have a problem with that. Or I remember being at. Um, Last year, I was on vacation in Maui and was at uh, Kapalua. It was at some restaurant in Kapalua and, and just out to dinner with the wife and, and mother-in-law and just wanted to have a bottle of wine with dinner. And um, the, the, I think the most affordable wine that we could get was the King Estate Pinot Gris was on their list for $80. And and I even strange. I said to the guy, you know what? We just want a bottle of wine to drink with dinner. I didn't bring anything. I'm going to buy this bottle of wine, but I want it. there's a little bit of protest going on. Um, because under, I know how much this stuff yeah. costs, and and I think it's a shame that you guys are charging that much. Um, but it's it's one of the things customers look at nowadays, and it's one of the things they would they've got their delectable or Vivino or yeah, seller tracker, and they're does. out there in the restaurants. And I can tell you that it, it is uh, not only winemakers and distributors are looking at it, but people that are buying wine. That's something that's uh, conscious in their mind when they're when they're buying wines for the restaurant and what they're pricing it at. So the idea is that you, you don't want to charge more for the wine. You always want to pay less for the wine. And that's always been my attitude is, as a wine buyer is I don't want to have the most expensive, but I don't want to be charging more for this bottle of wine than anyone else is. I want to try and find a way that I can pay less for it. So that means talking to the winemaker and saying, hey, wh- what can I do to, to pay less? Does that mean buying more of it? Does that mean putting on a, a pairing on the, on the prefix menu, just getting more? There's um, got to be some kind of balance. Well, I mean... <laughs> 
everyone's got to make their make right. their money. And uh, you don't stay in business, nobody goes to eat. Uh, you don't stay in business, nobody drinks your wine. Yeah. It's uh, so no, it's it. I can understand where you're. Well, going and one of those wines that I was trying to buy uh, is open now in front of us. That um, uh, when I was at the Girl in the Fig was a Syrah that Sam had some. Some cases of and, now is this um, the 09 Syrah 09 project? project? What we call Projet de V, uh, and it's uh 2009 Syrah, it's delicious, um, by the way. That you know, 2009 was uh, basically well, I, I basically started working with 16600 in, in 2011, so at that time we were bottling the 2009s or labeling the 2009s, and the list that I got of labels to print from Phil and Jeff Baker at the time didn't include the Crane Syrah. So we, we bottled it and I didn't have a label for it. And, and, and then we tasted it and you know, we didn't really like where it was. And the winery is brand new and Syrah is, you know, notoriously sort of a slow to sell. And so it just kind of sat in the warehouse and, and then I kind of got forgotten for a couple of years. And then I was like, Oh, you know what? Let's taste that again. And I tasted it with Brian, uh, one day at the bar, the girl in the fig and we're like, Holy crap, this is where it's at right it now. It really happened. It really happened. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, and with these things in life in general, it, that was that process probably started a year ago. And, yeah. And yeah, so now, you know, the wine has basically only gotten better. Um, and we just plugged it into the, the girl in the fig system. I might be going by the glass. It might be destined for the Rhone room. They'll um, sell this by the glass. Well, well it depends on the case. Yeah. Well, you but didn't have a lot of cases. We need some. We need some for for my closet. And we need some for your closet oh, today. Uh, you. Uh, you have to call the girl in the fig. I have to call the girl in the fig. Are you kidding? I have no, a couple no, bottles of it, but um, you know, I, I delivered thirty-five cases, which is what I, I think we made that was forty-five it? to start with. Um, See, and that's and that's what I was saying. That's an example of where Sam has a certain amount, and and in order to get a, a better price on the wine, you say, "I'll take it. I'll take it all. I don't want a case. I don't want a three case drop. I don't want a five case drop. Whatever you whatever you got, I'll take it." That's beautiful, though. Um, and then, John, I sent you some articles last week, but we didn't really get a chance to talk about it because this is one of those wines that um, that the restaurant made. The restaurant actually labeled themselves. Because um, I was drinking a, I was drinking a bottle of Oliver's Sauvignon Blanc from oh, Sonoma right. Valley, and um, saw this article about that sort of being a, a thing that more and more people are doing is having the wines made uh, for their restaurants or for their, you know, like the Kirkland brand or. Um, well, um, Kirkland would turn me off. Girl, the fig turns me on, you know. So I mean, it's well, I don't, and and that's a, and that that's what I think was a conversation that I was hoping to have. Maybe we can do it next week. Is um, um, I don't think there's a reason for you to be turned on or turned off by that. I think it's it's reserve your judgment until you try the wine, and then and then see where your where your judgment lies. You at that point, you know me, I always jump to it though. Well, because I I always think there's really great winemakers sometimes, or great wineries that sometimes come out with a wine that I'm not a big fan of, and then there's these. These people that I have never heard of that for some reason one year make this incredible wine that completely turns you on. So I, I think um, holding back the judgment until you actually have it in your glass and in your mouth is... is uh, well, I've held back, so now, now I'm enjoying it. So, <laughs> so this is a, at the Girl in the Fig. This is at the Girl in the Fig. Okay, by the bottom. Uh, and uh, on the, the... Famous artist, I think, did this famous label. Famous artist did this label. Alice Pennis. <laughs> Alice Pennis. Sonoma, well, not native, but Sonoma local artist. Um, yep. My wife, uh, Eric Bradley, is a collector of Alice Penna's artwork. Oh, nice! Uh, this she is has true. A few few pieces in the house. Um, this is true. And you know, 
the thing that I love about this project, um, you know, we had the wine basically completely independently. Alice and Sandra, the girl in the fig, you know, came up with a, a label idea. And, um, and then, so Alice made this painting. It has the different layers of the world that go into wine. It starts with the soil, then you have the vegetative layer, the, the sky air layer, the water layer, and the cosmos. Um, and somehow a lot of the elements that Alice put into this painting kind of show up in, in the wine. She has, you know, this, it's very earthy and there's this really strong earth, you know, sort of element in the painting. There's some, some sort of like, uh, vegetative, almost herbal characteristics, some, some mushroom in there in a nice way. Uh, there's some morale that are on the paintings. So you know, it all kind of came together, uh, Probably more elegantly than the really fun label that Brian and I had planned for this. To, if it was up to me, the thing would have a motorcycle on the front of that label. But it now is why beautiful. is that? What I I liked the fact that it was an older vintage that you're kind of bringing something back. Yeah. So to me, immediately the term old school kind of came into my mind. Well, and so it's then, an old school style wine in general. Right. right. So, th- so that was the direction I was going in. But again, with Sandra, you know, anytime she takes an idea, she makes it more beautiful and and. Um, uh, more successful. Well, that that's her deal. So that's right. No, we've had some beautiful wines this morning. So I just I I opened the Adobe Three Sticks uh, Castaneda. Imagine being Don Juan Castaneda back in the 1850s in Sonoma. You know, that's a pretty macho gig. You know, I guess, <laughs> and marrying into the family and and uh, having that beautiful adobe that they have down on Spain Street. Now, I chose that wine uh, from Three Six simply because I love it. It's yeah, just, for me, that's a solid wine. The the everything about that is right. Uh, we opened well, your Viognier, and now we've got the '09 Syrah. But there's in between. Uh, I think we got to go to that before. Oh, so any of the any people that have been listening to the show long enough know that I have a uncle, Uncle David, who is a Uncle Dave. Uncle David is a pest guy who had these longtime clients for years that were wine collectors. Eventually, the husband passed away. Uh, The wife wasn't drinking wine anymore, and so I have had access to their cellar because Uncle David pretty much can take anything he wants out of there. And, and at this point, I think we've, we've gotten pretty much out of this, everything out of this cellar that we can possibly get. Um, but last week I stopped and I got a 79 Pinot from Australia. And then I grabbed this um, uh, 97 Chianti. Um, so we opened up the Quir- Pinot the other day. Quirchabella. 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 Chianti. Beautiful oak. And I'm enjoying it. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think Once John, <laughs> everyone else was on... Um, uh, Viena, I think John was grabbing the Chianti. Uh, I was. First. was. <laughs> but I, it, you know, these wines, they were stored. They look like they were stored okay. Some of them, man, are just way past their prime. And some of them are, are beautiful. I think so far out of the maybe 20-something bottles of wine that I've grabbed out of there, my favorite wine so far, which was I had the, probably the lowest expectations for, was a 67 David Bruce Zinfandel, <laughs> which I thought, wow. who... Who in, back then was making Zinfandel thinking that someone was going to open that up 40 years from now um, and drink that? But so far, I think that has been the, the one wine that has stood out out of all these random French and Italian and Australian wines. And Eric has uh, enjoyed the spoils of that cellar when, I, when we opened that, uh, 
the Sauternes. Oh, Sauternes? Okay, yeah. yeah. Did you get some of that? I did. So that was an Wasn't Uncle David amazing? special. Yeah. And cool. and Uncle David doesn't drink wine, so that's the that's the <laughs> fun part of it is that what you can do is just go over to his house and I trade him. I trade him for I'll give his wife a bottle of New World wine, something from thirteen or fourteen, which she'll love, and then I'll give him beer. So last time it was a Sonoma uh, Russian River beer, um, and so you just drop off some beer and wine, and then you go through the cellar and you pick a couple bottles of some older stuff, and and everyone's happy with the with the uh, sounds symbiotic. with the swap nice. totally. <laughs> Fair exchange in a robbery. <laughs> it's perfect. That's the way it's supposed to work, though. Right? Everybody's yeah. everybody's happy. That's right. Everybody That's right. feels like they got one over on the other person. Right. <laughs> perfect business deal, right? <laughs> and everybody feels a little slighted. That's how a business should be. <laughs> no, uh, feel a little dirty and a little little happy. Exactly. Well, maybe that's the wine business. You know, the, the, um, the advertising business, though, I, you want it all. You know, so sometimes that 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 pits you against your client. And it's all we're we're uh, it's all about balance. No, it's see, almost guys, like we're in pursuit of it. You guys don't use sustainability. Sustainability. You know? Yeah. I mean, what, I, is, what does that mean? I used to do Budweiser um, advertising, and and you know, it's so strange to think about what their concept was. American. It's no longer American. Uh, it tastes the same everywhere you get it. Yeah, it tastes like crap everywhere you get it. I'm sorry, but Bud. you why it's just. It's, <laughs> doesn't it say America right on the? Isn't it even called well, they, Budweiser they, anymore? They have a new brand extension. You know, I mean, they hire these guys from Wharton Business School, or these ladies. You know, and they go, okay, what do we do? A brand extension. Well, let me see. Let's play with the name. So it's called America, because everybody knows we're not. You know, we're not American owned anymore. That was their. That was their one thing. Holland didn't send as good. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Does it? The Netherlands doesn't. <laughs> What about, uh, but you know, the, there's not a lot of national advertising for uh, that I see at all. I mean, some in in magazines and things like that for you know, specific uh, wines, especially in the in the local Sonoma uh, Napa magazines and things like that. Um, and and everybody, you know, they want they want to have some kind of positioning. You know, we're the we're the beautiful place that you come get married and and you know whatever. Or you know the 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 wine itself is what sells. Uh, you know, in in your case, you know, I mean, I mean, your ad that you did was was just Phil's hands filthy from the dirt and with the grapes and that. But that is the essence. Of the brand, you know they nailed it on that one. Um, but in general, um, you know we don't you don't see a lot of mass advertising in the fine wine world because um, you you don't want to if it's true or not you don't want it to look mass produced because um, to do right. the wines you know that Eric does and and that you know we all enjoy the most. Um, you know, almost never are they mass produced. It uh, it's almost impossible to make those types of. Do you want it? Do you want it scale. almost unattainable? Almost, almost. <laughs> That's one strategy for sure. But I, I think at the gist of it is that you can't make wines that have that kind of personality on a huge scale. They have to be handcrafted. They've got to be more personal than that. As soon as you start having to filter wines, it. It simplifies mm-hmm. them. Um, and you have to filter if you're making tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands or more 
huh. of a particular skew. Right. The zeros just get too important. No. Uh, but when you're making hundreds, or in the case of 16600, sometimes dozens. Right. 20, um, 25 cases. You can take some chances, and you can keep them unfiltered, and, and they have this, this feeling of freshness and, and life that you can't get any other way. Well, and all of our listeners know that they can always give us a call and, and uh, get with us on, on our Facebook and on our uh, every way that they can um, in terms of, of, of buying the wine that we're talking about yeah so and if you're at i want to yeah. make sure that everybody knows about reprie and about uh, pangloss and about what you do so that's the best thing we can do possible and send us an email because that's the best way if you're coming to sonoma yeah. you're coming to anywhere within you know a drive of the region and you want to visit uh reprie i mean you can go to pangloss it's on the plaza you can get there if See you want to visit reprie you have to book well in advance uh, send us an email and I'll pass it on to the great team. Go to Pangloss and you can make an appointment there. To go to Reprie? To go to Reprie. And I like Olivia. I love the, the uh, way I love the way you did the, whoever did it. I can take no credit or the blame for any there. of this, but um, <laughs> yeah, well, I'll let Christian know. Well, okay. That's, <laughs> there, that's there, good. Have you been over to Jeff Cohn's place? Uh, I, I went over for the opening. but um, I love the... Um, the shadow box on the wall. The big vine on the yeah, wall. With the wine. Jeff's yeah, the vine. a great asset to Sonoma. We're very lucky to have him. In, in the last few years, there's been a few additions to the plaza that have totally raised the bar as far as the wine that you can get and the experience that you can get. Um, you know, Pangloss is a great example of that. And, and Jeff Cohn as well as, you know, we're like, all of a sudden, the plaza is not just a place where there's a bunch of wineries, but there's a place where there's a bunch of really, really, really top-end wine that's talk? available. Right. Yeah. Three Sticks. Three Sticks is a... Yeah. Exactly. 16 Boo. Oh, yeah, 16 Boo. At the, <laughs> it's a tasting house? Yeah. Uh, Sojourn, you have Sojourn McLaren Tasting Spa. Uh, Bedrock is coming to the... Uh, really? Uh, tours. Uh, tour. Yeah, exactly. Walt. It's, it's, um, God, we're living in Disneyland for adults, aren't come we? Come to Sonoma. It gets better every day. <laughs> better every day. Now look at the weather today. I mean... Oh, you're right. It's absolutely perfect, so... Well, hey, live from Sonoma uh, via Radio Misfits Podcast Network out of Chicago. Uh, thanks to Edward Silla, our podmaster, um, Sam. Podfather. Podfather. Well, John, are we going to fit one more in before Grenache Day? We have to. So I think Kieran Robinson uh, will be on. Uh, we, okay. Yeah. So I just want to say thanks uh, to Eric for coming in. Thank yeah. You thank you. You really made the show. Thank you so much. I know it's extremely busy time and it's crazy, but uh, know that you'll be heard and people will uh, hear your story and it's going to hopefully have a positive effect. Look, those digits just start. Flipping over. Just nice yeah. to hang out with you guys. <laughs> for thanks for having me. Hey, so, everybody, thanks for listening. We are the winemakers, and we will see you next week. So, thanks Cheers. again. Cheers. Thanks, John. The proceeding was a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Find our other great shows on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and at radiomisfits.com. Thank you.